Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. Now it's time for the Financial Outlook for personal Investors. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Ross Mould, Investment Director of AJ Bell. We're going to look at the world of investment from a UK perspective on a day when the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee met. I should think by the time anybody hears this, they'll already know what they've decided. Um, but you would tell us, I think, anyway. Oh, gosh, yeah. They raised interest rates by half a percentage point to yeah. 4%, exactly as the financial markets had been expecting. They stuck to their £80 billion pounds a year quantitative tightening program. I guess mm. the interesting points were the vote was 7-2 to raise interest rates. Two members voted for no action, clearly the belief mm. that you know, everything is under control, honest. Um, and also there was the, in the burrowed away in the text, uh, the, the Monetary Policy Committee suggested that if all goes to forecast from here, the interest rates will peak at about 4.5%. And then on a three-year view, it received about three and a quarter. Mm. Any, so that's that's the headlines. Yeah. So presumably, no, uh, they're still blaming things like Ukraine and things, yeah, supply chains. Uh, nothing to do with the fact that they kept interest rates so low for so long and pumped so much money into the economy. $895 billion yeah. pounds. No, yeah. not, no, no, no. Move along. Nothing to see here on yeah, those topics. Nothing to do with us at all. Thank you very much. And at the moment, yeah, mathematically, oil and gas are going their way. The fact that the headline inflation figures are based on an index, mathematically, that's going to come down pretty quickly, assuming the oil and gas play, play dead. Um, clearly, services inflation is still proving a bit sticky. Wage inflation is running at 6 7%. So they'll be watching those very, very closely. Um, but yeah, mathematically, the Bank of England is going to get a break in that inflation is going to slow down. The danger is that they gun the economy too early, start cutting rates too early, uh, and we get a repeat of the late 1970s mm-hmm. when inflation came back in a second and a third wave and interest rates had to go up to you know levels that would be inconceivable now, 14% or 15%. Yes. Um, and all, again, part of that was fueled by additional spikes in oil and gas prices. Now, oil is looking pretty firm right now. Gas isn't. It's intriguing that BP and Shell share prices are going up at a time when oil prices are not. So at the moment, Monsieur Marché is Il Signore Mercato is suggesting that oil and gas prices are going to come back. Now, the market can easily be wrong. But given that you've got China reopening, America needing to replenish its strategic petroleum reserve, OPEC wanting a balanced market, question marks over Russian production, it's and the, the oil majors just aren't investing because they're being told not to, um, you can make a case for stronger oil and gas prices. Equally, if we get a recession, then that would mm. clearly knock a very big hole in that. I guess what's interesting is that the Davos crowd, the IMF, even the Bank of England are saying, well, things are going a little bit better than we thought economically. That, in theory, shouldn't be encouraging them to cut interest rates. It should be encouraging them to be even more vigilant. So we're in this difficult situation for markets mm. where actually bad economic news is good news for markets because it means in, bad economic news means interest rates will peak and come down quicker, which is more cheap money. Hurrah. Yes. 
good economic news in theory could be bad news for markets because it means less cheap money, less parching, although it might also mean higher earnings. So then we've got a, a, a bit of a different dynamic there. But I think at the moment with markets pricing in lower rates by the end of the year, good economic news might not be all it's straightforward as it's supposed to be yes. just because it could mean higher inflation, higher interest rates yeah. and so on. I know they're not the flavour of the month as they, they were, well, I suppose, almost a generation ago, but the monetarists, some monetarists have been warning money supplies going to gone into reverse in the economy pretty quickly. And they're, they're worried that, you know, the Bank of England and other central banks are actually raising interest rates at a time when they should be relaxing. This is the, this is the delicate situation in which the Bank of England has plonked itself by, leave, you could argue, leaving rates too low, mm. so low for so long and by printing so much money. I personally, I mean, the, the, the financial markets are currently pricing in this scenario whereby inflation decelerates back towards 2% target. We don't get a deep recession and central banks can cut rates all at the same time after unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus. Hmm. Well, I, it, it might be, but I, I confess on balance, it would it would be a remarkable trifecta, all things considered. Hmm. Uh, something we probably don't need to remind many of our listeners, but of course, it's all very well saying, oh, inflation may come back to 2%, but people will still notice that prices are much higher than they were before, because well, not, all we're we talking about is the rate is the rate of increase of It's a deceleration. I chose my word very carefully. Yeah. I said deceleration. Mm. I didn't say decline. The one thing that central banks do not want to see is deflation. Yes. There is too much debt in the system. That would indeed be a Japanese-style scenario, and it would be very, very uncomfortable for those people who've got debt because deflation would increase the value of their debt in real yeah. terms, which again leads one to think that actually – I mean, if you look at the two-year yield, which traditionally uh, leads UK monetary policy by about nine months, so frankly, you could sack the Bank of England and just let the, the gilt market get on with it, except for the fact, of course, some yes. scoundrel would probably then try and gerrymander the yes. two-year gilt yes, yield yes, and spoil yes. the whole thing. So you can't do that, um, tempting as it is to – to, to, to let miss, to let the free markets completely run wild, you you can't do it. Um, that is calling the Bank of England's bluff because it's still hovering around 3.3, It's saying no more rate increases <clears throat> or very quick reductions. So, and again, I think that's because deep down the markets know there is just so much debt out there. We can't have a sustained period of high interest rates. Central banks actually want inflation because and governments want need inflation because it boosts your nominal GDP number. And so long as the debt doesn't grow as quickly, your debt to GDP ratio goes down and you all look like fiscal geniuses. So in that in that respect, inflation is actually going to be helpful. So you can understand why the bond market's calling the, 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 the central bank's bluff because they don't think they've got the stomach for it. And actually, the maths don't necessarily permit them to keep interest rates for too much higher mm. for too much longer. Let's just give you a breather. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.
This is Indeed Share Radio. You're listening to the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors, where I'm talking to Russ Mould of AJ Bell. Um, Russ, I know you've been you've been um, doing some numbers because we've had uh, the PM Rishi Sunak in office now for 100 days, and you love doing these charts, uh, comparing what's happening now with what's happened in the past. So, I how is he doing as far re- as the market? I think I love this probably more than Rishi's enjoyed his hundred days. But you never know. <laughs> you, you, you never know, right? It's, Gosh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take on that job for all the tea in China. I think it's it's completely impossible, and the expectations that are, are placed upon people, the, the concept that somebody can just pull a lever and something magical and wonderful would happen. It, it is, anyway, I, yeah. I, anybody who's well, got that job, I wouldn't, I, sit, I, I wouldn't sit on the MPC committee either for the same no, reason. I, no, exactly. I, I think that. Anyway, um, so yeah. Mr. Sunak's completed 100 days, so he's outstripped his predecessor. He's, he's nudging towards the forgotten Prime Minister, Andrew Bonalore from 1923, who's the one that everybody forgets, although Henry Campbell Bannerman of 1908 doesn't always get too many memories either. Mm. So, intriguingly, Rishi's been in charge for 100 days, and the FTSE old chair, despite bullying accusations amongst cabinet colleagues, despite strikes and industrial unrest, despite inflation, and despite sackings and allegations of tax avoidance, the FTSE all shares up 11.5% in those 100 days. And that's the second warmest reception given to any prime minister since Edward Heath in 1970, when the uh, all share went up 15% in the three months after he took over. And of course, don't forget, Heath came in and his biggest mandate was to take us into what was known as the common market, or we know it today, the European Union. Mm. Whereas clearly Mr. Sunak's brief is very much to keep us out of it. Thank you very much indeed. There's a slight uh, irony there. The only other prime minister who was welcomed with a double-digit increase in their 100 days was Tony Blair in 1997. Uh, and the biggest raspberries, well, they went to Margaret Thatcher in 1979, a double-digit decline. Harold Wilson uh, in the 1970s, a double-digit decline. And Boris Johnson, a thumping 20-odd percent decline. Now, that's obviously very unkind. It's because of COVID. Actually, the market rocketed after his election in December 2019, and then everything came completely mm-hmm. unstitched. So... I'm sure Mr. Sunak would love to take the credit for it, but just as it's unfair to lumber Boris Johnson with COVID, it's certainly probably a little bit generous to give Mr. Sunak all of the credit for the 11.5% increase. Equally, oil and gas prices coming down helped. Mm. Equally, all the talk of peak inflation, peak interest rates helping. But the other thing that's helping is that the market was under the gun when he took over. There had been a big decline, particularly in cyclicals and, and, and consumer-related stocks. And it's the age-old story, valuation, the the yes. entry multiple that you pay is the ultimate arbiter of your investment return. And the bear case is never so compelling as it is at the bot. what turns out mm. to be the bottom. So I think in that respect, it's the old story. You can have cheap stocks and good news, just not both at the same time. And when You've Rishi been talking took about, over, yeah. Sorry. there was loads and loads of bad yeah. news out there. Yes. And, Maybe things were just cheap, right? And that's why things have gone up since we'll find Well, you've out. been pointing out for a while that the UK market is relatively inexpensive compared to most other Yeah, I, I think I've been saying it for a while. I'm just in a yeah. slight low on voice. But having said that, I think it did touch a – had a go at touching an all-time high today, actually. Certainly, the the 100 uh, crawled over 8,000 for the first time. So although this, this survey wow. that we did looked at the old share because it's got the yes. longer history, so it takes you all the way back to 60, 63, 64. And um, probably more representative than – just taking 100 shares. Yeah, you you would, and particularly because the FTSE 100, is it really representative of the UK economy? Oh, I wouldn't say at all, but equally is the economy the stock market? Well, no, it isn't because we know the stock market <laughs> yeah, will be yeah. anticipating what's coming, whereas GDP numbers and things are, are all very, very um, backward looking. 
It's quite odd, really. We're saying the FTSE isn't representative, perhaps, of the market as a whole, whereas it was brought in because the FT30, the old one, was felt not to be representative of the market as a whole. It's it's the way it is, but, you know, you've got companies, and this is not to diss them, but you've got companies, or having said that, you come out with a disappointing statement today, you've got companies like Airtel Africa in there. It's got absolutely nothing to do with the UK at all, Mm. apart from whether, you know, the investor relations department and the executives are a bit. So, so, in that respect, it isn't wildly representative, no. Russ, thank you. As ever, that's Russ Mould of AJ Bell. And that's it for the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.